0: and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in-store, and exclusive access to sold-out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD. And claim money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking
0: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. i got three shifts a week, less than minimum wage. My friends will say I'm a reprobate. PRS pay me £3.68. 101 part-time jobs. (laughs) Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. You like that jingle? where I speak to bands that I love about their old jobs. I'm on a bit of a summer break at the moment, but this is one episode that was too good to hold. Tony Molina just released an amazing album, In The Fade. Tony Molina's music just has a weightlessness to it, sends me to a better place. So really excited to have him on. As I said, his new record, In The Fade, is out now. Here he is on 101 part-time jobs. Go well. Cheers! How old were you when you started The Ovens and was it clashing with work? What were you doing at the time?
1: We were 17 when we started it. Um, I think we were junior year of high school. Uh, A year after that is when I got my first job, which was at this movie theater in San Francisco, this place called The Vogue. To this day, that theater is like a huge part of my life. It's pretty much the main job I've ever really had. I don't work there anymore, but I pretty much worked there from like graduating high school to 2019 so like 2003 to 2019 pretty much
0: wow that's a long period of time
1: yeah yeah for sure and the theater was cool because it was uh it's this movie theater in san francisco that our friends who also played in bands worked at it was the cool place to uh to go if you were in a band and stuff and uh it was cool because it's like you could work and then you're working with like like like-minded people i met many of my best friends there over the years and then you can go on tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you, if you needed to, and you didn't really have to worry about getting fired. I actually lucked out. I think, you know what I mean? Like I didn't have to get a job at the mall and get treated like shit by a bunch of people and then, you know, have to quit and then fucking go on tour and then come, come back and then look for another shitty job. I kind of mm-hmm. always had the theater to, 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 uh, to come back to, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Almost everyone I know who is in like a grounded and like good and, you know, healthy kind of position being an artist, almost all of them have had like sort of friends or mentors or some kind of shamanic figure (laughs) in their life where they can, you know, get advice from and bounce shit off. Did working at Vogue and and hanging out with your, your new friends there, did they kind of offer that
1: sort of role? I mean, that place kind of shaped my life because I met the guitar player, The Ovens there. My first ever shift was with him. He wasn't the original guitar player of the band we'd had a, a couple guys that came in and it didn't work out. And, um, but then when he joined, it was like, we became immediate friends on my first day of work, uh, October, 2003. I think the movie we were showing was lost in translation. The, the movie with, uh, the oh probably, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, it was, it was way back then. And we'd be like that first day we immediately became like really good, close friends we'd, Liked all the same, he's a big. He was a huge Melvin's fan, and I was a huge Melvin's fan. Um, and and uh, and then shortly after he joined the band, and you know to this day he's still in that band.
0: I've got I've got a big wide smile on my face because that's that's good. That's the good shit. Finding a good friend in life.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. The theater was like that. You know, like a lot of bands kind of formed there, and it just created a place where a lot of the sort of our our music community in in the Bay Area, especially San Francisco. Um, you know, there was tons of like. I just actually, it's funny to do this podcast because all this stuff is kind of coming for full circle lately. Because over the pandemic, I made a compilation mixtape just because I was bored. It was during lockdown, you know, and I made a compilation mixtape of twenty years of of uh, Vogue bands. Great, yeah, yeah. And I put out this tape, and then we actually had a show at the Vogue. Quality. Yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That says yeah, and there's still bands, there's younger bands uh, working there now too. So it's still that way, and it's still like it's still like a huge part of my life, really. The vogue, you know. You know,
0: it's it's funny in England, and I'm I think in Australia and New Zealand they have these kind of government schemes to you know uh, nurture bands and to you know obviously a lot of it is financial, but I think a big part of it is is a community. And that is just the most punk rock thing, is making your own one of those. That's a pretty rare
1: thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our boss, um, this guy, Herb Kaufman, he was older, but he had grown up in, like, the early 80s. And he was, he, like, he used to go see Swans and old Sonic Youth, like, confusing the sex-era Sonic Youth. And I think he saw Black Flag once and... Um, you know, he always he would talk about the '80s and stuff. So he was like like minded, even though he was way older. And I think he, I think he felt comfortable hiring like all these you know people that were just in local bands because he related to us. And he was he he was a huge part uh, like of 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 the whole thing. You know, he was the guy who was allowing us to go on tour. He's like, I'll cover your shifts while you're gone. You know what <laughs> I mean? That kind of shit. And um, so it was cool to uh, yeah. It's always felt very family oriented there you know yeah at the Vogue, yeah and there's all kinds of bands man like hella hardcore uh there's metal bands like um just all across the board just every every kind of thing we have my friend carson he's a rapper um there was you know it it was just pretty like you know all across the board with kind of any kind of underground guitar music pretty much there was that at the Vogue for sure
0: it's cool that I think growing up, playing in bands, you do get a lot of reactions from people that, you know, maybe are slightly condescending towards you, you know, or maybe, yeah. you know, throw away. But the, the reality of it is that if you're in a band, chances are you're quite well organized. You're a self-starter or whatever phrase you could put on your CV, your resume.
1: Well, I mean, the thing about us is that, like, you know, we were raised by the Bay Area underground DIY scene. And so we had really good teachers from when we were kids, you know, and um, I think we're just products of that. We started when we were really young and we kind of were able to navigate how to do bands and put out records and things like that at a really young age because we had the best mentors, you know, older, 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 you know, people that these are people that are like legends in my book, you know, like someone like Jeff Robinson from capitalist casualties who ran six weeks records, you know, he was a, Huge guy in our life, like Dan Lactose, who was in the band Spaz. We, yeah. had, all these, we had all these mentors when we were, when we were kids, so it was kind of like we came up good, you know what I mean? Like we were lucky, we were super lucky.
0: That's great that those older people will, will speak to younger people like their own age.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing. And we, we experienced that when we were 16. Like all of a sudden, we were friends with all the guys from Spaz and Agents of Satan and all these bands that we kind of had just discovered. That we like couldn't believe and and it was a huge uh i come from this area called the west bay and uh it had it's like it's not totally known for music and stuff like that um but the bands that came out of it are like legendary and like anyone who knows about it like knows about it yeah and um so yeah like getting to kind of meet your favorite bands and then become friends when you're still a kid was like super huge super eye-opening you're like wow like this shit is possible to do No, i think most musicians
0: start off not knowing how to do anything apart from write songs in their most basic form you know forget about releasing records or recording i mean that's stuff that that you learn along the way and in a way you kind of have to get lucky for the people that you meet and the friends that you make that you either learn from Or, or learn with.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was. I still um, look up to my heroes, and I'm friends with these people now. We've been friends for like 20 years. I still look up to them as as my heroes, and I still, if I if I make a record, I send it to them. I still have that nervousness I had (laughs) when I was 16, giving them my first hardcore band's demo. You know what I mean?
0: Yes.
1: And I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm closer to 40 than anything else now, but I still have that little kid nervousness when I talk to my OGs. You know what I mean? Like. That's the
0: good stuff. That's the great stuff. A P-45 and a bank condemned. The booking agent screening our calls again. Still coughing up for those PCNs. 101 hard times
1: jobs. Being from the West Bay, it was kind of like, you're kind of on your own out there. The bands from the West Bay tend to not get as much props as a lot of other bands uh, from other areas of the Bay Area have over the years. the east bay is like famous you know like east bay is hugely famous for its punk scene it's hardcore scene and it's metal scene i mean the east bay invented thrash in the 80s you know thrash metal and you know lookout rec you know lookout records gilman all that stuff really legendary stuff that kind of changed the world and so the west bay was always kind of overlooked so we knew we were kind of out on our own a little bit i remember in the early ovens days it was really tough on us because we were like a straight pop band and we had all these ideas that weren't necessarily being celebrated or talked about at all in the hardcore scene we came came from and so we were actually really shy and nervous about it and we purposely kept ovens like kind of away from the hardcore scene we knew um even though these people were like our friends and like no no like you know we're still kids and but we we were nervous about playing um, pop because yeah. we came from because we were playing in hardcore bands and but then by the time Ovens started really really being a thing and we had multiple albums that we were recording, eventually like all the old hardcore people that we knew were like, dude, this is great and they lo- and they loved it and they welcomed it with open arms. But it, it was like it was years of kind of kind of being scared to be like exposed in that way. Like Oboe oh, and Tony just feel like. They're playing some Weezer shit now or something. You know, it was like my (laughs) worst nightmare. It was my worst nightmare to think that someone would be talking about that, you know, like someone I respected. That never happened. Like, they were always just like, dude, Tony and Bo's new band, they're great, you know?
0: Those heads must have kind of enjoyed Teenage Fan Club and Pastel stuff
1: and Vaseline's. and Oh, so that stuff was like, I got into that stuff in high school, but as far as the... um. With the UK pop stuff, that stuff changed my life as a kid because I always thought that the DIY Underground Network was like kind of, you know, um, just hardcore and metal and just like brutal shit. You know? and, and it was cool to get into it at that time because here we had like Slumberland Records mm. and it was, it, you know what I mean? And um, Slumberland in a lot of ways is kind of like the, the sort of West Coast Sarah. Kind of thing you know what i mean the
0: indie pop label from bristol
1: yeah and so i was discovering all the slumberland bands at that age too i was like 17. i i, I just like discovered the underground pop community that totally changed my life because i was like cool it, it could still be diy it could still be underground but it's like pop it doesn't have to be like super crazy metal and stuff and there was other bands like too there's like the bananas from sacramento they like were really instrumental during that time yeah
0: with, with all those bands around, you know, people surviving and, and putting music as a priority and, and still having some kind of, you know, structure in their lives. How did you see that stuff? Where were you with that? Were, were, were some bands kind of going for it and living, living kind of on friends' floors and other, other people were, had regular jobs they were able to hold down somehow?
1: Yeah, like, my, like a lot of my best friends, like a lot of the Vogue people, like they would just tour constantly and they were super DIY they were going for it as far as just wanting to tour as much as possible, but I don't think they were really flirting with any type of success. Like I don't really think they were wanting to go to the next level, get signed to a label and do that whole thing. Like, you know, but some of our friends got some taste of it uh, back in those days, Uh, a Vogue band, which also features, well, it's like it features the guitar player of the ovens, uh, AK who I was talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. his band, the Trainwreck riders, uh, they were a diy band who came up with all of us at the same time and they actually got signed to Alive records uh which was Ooh. like the black keys label or whatever and so they got to do yeah and we had a friend's band in the city called two galants and they got kind of famous and um so it was like that was the, we saw that stuff kind of happening we're like damn like friends of ours are like getting kind of big or whatever it was kind of exciting to see because i was i was totally on the outside of it because we were just so strictly DIY and stuff like that. Yeah. You
0: know? Did that bring any kind of, like, problems or, like, conflicts or, you know, that kind of, you know, maybe confusion? Being DIY, but sort of having, you know, seeing that happen and being like, well, you know, I want to play music. You want to play music.
1: It it No, it it wasn't any confusion. We were, like, happy for everyone. Um, and, uh, I mean, these dudes weren't playing, like, under they weren't playing grindcore or anything like that. So I didn't really necessarily, like assign them with needing you know what i mean like i didn't have any issue with people uh trying to moving to the next step and like maybe becoming like big or like signed or whatever those things meant um i just thought it was exciting it was like i was happy for my friends you know yeah they were playing super underground grindcore and shit like that it'd be like it wouldn't make any sense for them to like to go to that level Mm. but they were these bands were like really good like pop songwriting bands like they absolutely should have went to whatever next level was available to them. And I knew that then, you know, I didn't have any issue with it. I mean, to me, when I was a kid, I was like, dude, Slumberland is the coolest label in the world. Like, I'll never know any of those people. Like, I'll never be able to put out a record on that label because it's just the coolest thing in the world. And it was definitely like, it was definitely a step above where we were coming from with our little, with our little, you know, basement show DIY shit that we were doing. And, uh, but, you know, but. Sure enough, dude, like I've been on some, I was on Slumberland for hell of years. <laughs> and did you realize that those people
0: aren't, you know, no different to you and your friends?
1: They're exactly the same. They're exactly the same. I mean, Mike Schulman, who runs Slumberland, he grew up going to hardcore shows in DC. You know what I mean? So the sort of nervousness of, of coming from hardcore and getting into pop, it was just easy because it's just like, dude, I grew up seeing all those bands. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. he saw most of them. He never saw Void. He told me he never saw Void and that's like a big uh, regret he has because it's yeah. like, you know, everyone, everyone would have liked to see Void, you know. But um, but uh, yeah, no, he, yeah. I mean, so it was like, but Slumberland was great for that because you could still kind of be from your underground roots and stuff. But then having to record out with them, it's like it, uh, you ha- it has more reach distribution wise and it'll get to other types of people outside of those circles. Mm -hmm. But you're not, you're not really selling out and you're not really compromising your ethics or anything like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think I I got really lucky out here, but I think the Bay Area is kind of famous for that and being like a warm, nice place, I think. Right. So I feel like I, and and me living here my whole life, it's like all I know, you know what I mean? You know, there was, there's definitely people here that are like older heads that are like, OGs that are mean as fuck and bitter and stuff like that. That's part of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah like i respect the OGs so much that i just kind of respect where they're coming from like either way like you know what i mean like and for me like i was always so self-conscious about anything i did musically that i always expected the ogs to clown me and fucking say it was garbage or whatever like that right. you know what i mean right i never i never expected anyone to like like it or like you're like let me put out your next record or anything. i never mm. thought anything like that would happen
0: I, I feel that there's a band that i loved growing up and they could just release two records and uh, you know, I think they, they, they heard Kid Dynamite, you know, and, and, and they've they started this band called The Steel, and they're just the best thing ever. And, and they're a bit older, and, and I kind of see them every now and once again around town, and I don't really know them, but, you know, I've never really spoken to them. I kind of like appreciate that kind of distance that you have with your favorite band, you know, who are from your town.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I was always nervous to talk to the bands I looked up to, I was always like scared to to meet them and stuff. I remember one time, well, this is crazy in itself. My favorite band of all time, besides the Beatles probably is the fastbacks from Seattle.
0: Okay.
1: And and my friends that again, DIY people, they're from up in Washington. They're in this band called the Holy ghost revival. And, uh, from Bainbridge, Washington, Bainbridge Island, Washington. They actually lived in London for a while and they got like signed to a label out there. But anyways, um, those guys, they introduced me to Kurt block from the fastbacks in the ovens days. And we recorded our second record with him. And he's been my friend since we were like, uh, since I was like 20 years old about that. Like, I remember one time I went and saw a fastbacks reunion show in the city and it was with the muffs. And I was with Kurt, I was with Kurt block and he goes, Hey man, you want to meet Kim? And I was too nervous to meet Kim because I'd I'd been, I'd been obsessed with the muffs since I was like, for, like my some of my first shows were the Muffs like yeah when i was like 14 and uh um, yeah. yeah and i i dude i was a must fit like i would go see the Muffs since i was 14 up until she passed away you know Damn. it was like a it was just a big part of my life and it was that's a big like influence too um yeah but uh i I remember just being too nervous to say hello that night you know I'm i'm, I'm like that you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, releasing in the fade and, you know, we've just got, just got like a few more minutes before this meeting self-explodes or whatever. Zoom meetings as they are. But how do you reflect on your life in music and being able to prioritize writing songs and releasing records right now, today? How do you sum it up for yourself?
1: I always set out to be a lifer because all my... All my um like all my heroes that I looked up to weren't like super famous people, but they were people that consist consistently great records for like 20, 30 years. And and we're pretty normal people. Like, like I said, dude, we just always had like mentors and stuff.
0: Yeah. And it
1: it stirred us in the, it stirred us the right way. It steered us in the right direction. And I think it's like, so now I'm at my 20 year mark with having made these records for 20 years. And I'm like, dude, I'm like pretty happy with the way it all came out. Consistency was important. And, and like, not doing too much and like not burning yourself out and things like that. And, you know, so I think, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm like pretty happy with it, you know,
0: that's a really important point actually that, you know, I haven't really talked too much about on this, ep- on this podcast. and I've done like 160 episodes, you know, no one's really talked too much about burning out.
1: Yeah. Well it's, it's, you know, people get, you know, people get caught up in, in their own hype sometimes and then they burn themselves out with touring a bunch on,
0: oh i lost you again sorry you were just saying about is it always about the next record for you
1: i mean yeah i mean i think that's a good mentality to have if you're always thinking about the next one you, you're not see because it's like i never really wanted to enjoy the fruits of the labor i always just wanted to keep moving right you know right yeah like i always wanted to like it never made sense to me to like tour. i, I have done this and it was a bad decision that's why i don't tour anymore but like um i never wanted to like tour one record to death I was like, no, nah, I'd rather like stay home and make three records, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a lot more to enjoy there uh, perhaps or to share and to experience, experience together, which I guess it sounds like you're sounding like a gig. A gig is something to enjoy together, but a record when you can enjoy something in your bedroom on a Sunday night with your headphones on, that's a pretty special moment for, for everyone.
1: I, pref- I prefer doing that over than going to gigs myself, you know, unless it's like Hendrix or something. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: yeah 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 well tony thank you so much for being up for doing this thank you for those stories
1: oh for sure i had i had a blast talking to you seriously
0: that that's sick i mean mean, uh, that the the vogue the vogue tape is that still available
1: yeah yeah but you know what it's weirdly not available online yet um but i think we're gonna figure out a way to get some copies out there into the into the internet uh kind of universe of so people can order it and get it shipped um and I'll, I'll definitely keep you posted on all that.
0: Tony, thank you so much. Have a great day. Of
1: course, man. You too. Bye. See
0: you then. So there was Tony Molina on 101 Part-Time Jobs back properly in October, I think. There might be a couple of episodes before then. Cheers for listening. Here's Cox Barrow. I've been working all day for me, on the side Round around This is a Mighty Moon Media podcast.